All right, so I got Ryan Marcus, GM and head of engagement for Market Council in Hamburger Law. Ryan, what's going on, man? How are you? All right, Johnny. Good to see you, pal. Yeah, you too. I'm excited to do this in person. It's so much more fun to like sit down at a table and record these these podcasts than you know doing it over over a Zoom or whatever. So or a beer, but we're not having one right now. We should have <laughs> that. Should become part of the podcast is we just have it over drinks. That'd be fun. Um, but hey, so you know, working at Hamburger Law and Market Council, I mean, you got your your finger on the pulse of like all things, all things breakaway and M and A. Like you are one of the most knowledgeable guys I know about what's happening in the industry. And so that's why I want to base this chat around. So I'm okay. going to start a little bit broad and then we'll dig into details as we go. So, you know, what kinds of trends do advisors need to know about in the breakaway space right now? And especially I think advisors who are contemplating independence, what should they know about what it's like to become a breakaway in 2023? Sure. So, so the, the independent landscape continues to mature and it's, it's pretty amazing at the growth rate that we continue to see. Um, in a post-COVID environment, what I think advisors are recognizing more so now than ever is that the relationship with clients mean more now mm-hmm. than it ever has, right? Where, you know, f- 10, yeah. 5, 10, 15 years ago, many advisors were relying upon the brand of their firm and the mm-hmm. logo on the business card in order to win business and to keep business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what COVID has done is it really opened up the eyes of both the clients and the advisor, where the advisor is now recognizing that the client is with them, not because of the brand on the business card, but because of the advice and consistency that that advisor delivers. Um, that has become far more important now than historically ever. Right. Absolutely. Um, in addition to that, I can tell you that, you know, advisors that formally would uh, would scoff at the thought of being independent um, are seriously contemplating on what that might look like uh, in the future. Right. So these these untouchable teams, these really successful, uh, really savvy, really sophisticated financial advisors um, years ago, they didn't have the scale, mm-hmm. uh, or the independent sca- space didn't have the scale, uh, the sophistication, the technology, uh, to be yeah. able to support these really, really sophisticated advisors. And I think as the industry has continued to mature, mm-hmm. right, where now there continues to be more asset flow out of the wires and the broker dealer space into the RIA space, an entire industry has spawned from that. Yeah. And tech now is being built uh, specifically for the advisor space. And now the wires and broker dealers are attempting to keep up with with that pace and implement some technology that's available here within the wirehouse. So it's kind of come full circle. Right, right. So when you talk about some of those like large wirehouse teams, those untouchable mm-hmm. teams that you said, and why they're contemplating it now more than ever, is it... it yeah, you know, it's about the scale. It's about the support. It's about the ability to run this this thriving practice. Is it, is it also about just the economies of owning an RAA too, or or do you feel like that advice and relationship is what's driving those decisions? Um, I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, I think what what these advisors are recognizing is that it's entirely possible to become an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and and own a tangible asset, right? 
where at yep. the wires and at, at, at many broker dealer circumstances, the advisor's business value is really fairy dust, right? They don't own those relationships. Yeah. Their firms do. Yeah. So as they start taking a look at uh, the metrics of revenue and the firm's value and the value that they're delivering clients, they recognize that not just the overall business is worth more, uh, but mm-hmm. by acting in the capacity of a fiduciary, yes. right? And running revenue through uh, an entity that is not owned by anyone other than the principal, mm-hmm. they they recognize that um, the, the financials are just quite frankly more attractive. Uh, so is the offering for the client, right? Because that, that always sure. has to come first is acting as a fiduciary yeah. and doing what's within the client's best interest. And I think advisors owe it to themselves regularly to spot test that or just spot check that and say, mm-hmm. am I at the absolute best place that will allow me to deliver objective advice for my clients? And I think advisors are recognizing that the RIA space offers really the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you talked about how fintech has has grown and matured so much to support the RAA model. Uh, and I was having this conversation with somebody earlier here at Edge, talking about how really just kind of like young that whole support industry still is. Like if you think about the fintech companies that are in booths over here, like most of them are under 10 years old, right? They're, like there's some of them who've been around for 20, 30 years like that, but it's still a young industry which I think is exciting because you talk about how it's developed to the point to make this, you know, so much more attractive, but it's just going to keep getting better, right? It's going to get larger. The, the, the FinTech is really making some, some big advancements. I feel like in the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, they're, they're creating economies of scale, right? So if you think about it, 10, 12 years ago, uh, if you were independent, you had a, a segregate room with a server Right, which was expensive to purchase and yeah. to maintain. That room had to be refrigerated, and all of your your data was stored was stored on that server, right? right? And and quite frankly, I think Salesforce was really the first organization to figure out how they can take the cost mm-hmm. out of uh, owning or managing the data and bring that to the cloud, yeah. right? Where ownership of uh, something physical mm-hmm. turned into uh, cloud based technology, right? And that has yeah. really given advisors the ability to rent the technology, mm-hmm. right? And and be a customer as opposed to being the owner or a buyer of the technology. Right. And that has really kind of broken down the scale of economy that an advisor needs in order to be competitive. Yeah. What a crazy thing. Just have like server racks in your office. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like look I'll, at it now and it's like that's wild. How did anyone do that? I'll never I'll never forget when uh at Market Council at our uh at our former corporate headquarters um when that server uh finally was taken apart, I couldn't figure out where all the data was going to end <laughs> up being. Um and of course, lo and behold, uh you know, it uh, it ended up making its way uh into the cloud. But look, yeah. I I think uh to your point, Johnny, um Tech has created uh, the opportunity for advisors to be nimble, right? Yeah, to sure. be really competitive, not just from uh, you know from a pricing perspective, but to offer uh, the best of what they think that their clients might need, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, I still think, as you suggested, that the availability within tech and the growth of it is still in its, in its infancy stages. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are these legacy platforms and legacy 
organizations like Morningstar and yeah. Broadridge that have been around for a really long time and continue to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. and come out with new solutions. But most of the organizations that are uh, exhibiting within this very conference yeah. are, are, are younger than my son, who's 13 years old, yeah. right? And they were spawned, right? Their genesis was born mm. within the independent landscape. They didn't migrate their way over from another sector, right? right? They were born to facilitate mm -hmm. tech to support independent registered investment advisors. I think that tech will continue to get better. And I think advisors will continue to have greater choice mm -hmm. um, as far as what they want their client experience to look like and how they're leveraging that technology to create operational efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking about the benefits of independence. What are I guess you could say something like the unknown risks of going independent, of breaking away. Yeah. Yeah. So look, that that's an area that that we specialize in. We're on the precipice of, meaning market council on Hamburger Law Firm is on its, uh, pre the precipice of our 23rd anniversary. That's a big deal. Exclusively yeah. serving the independent registered investment advisory community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, over the last, uh, at least a, a dozen years since I've been here, uh, the biggest issue that we're often facing uh, when advisors come to us mm -hmm. is that they're basing their anticipatory transition based on what a friend's done uh, in prior years, Sure, right? Uh, yeah. Which is dangerous because every transition is different, right? Not just in size mm -hmm. and sophistication. Mm -hmm. And it always, doesn't always have to be a really complex, uh, difficult transition, but there are rules of engagement, right? Both from an employment perspective often and so certainly from a regulatory perspective. So not basing your uh, transition strategy based on mm -hmm. what your friend might have used two years ago is, yeah. is certainly something that uh, is certainly something that advisors need to be uh, considerate of. In addition to that, I'll tell you that um, there are rules of engagement that advisors need to be, be, be made aware of. So if we're talking about someone that does have restrictive covenants, whether that be through some type of an employment agreement, um, and they're working for a FINRA-regulated firm, um, there are outside business activities that that they'll likely end up being engaged in mm -hmm. uh, that their firm is outwardly looking for, right? So as advisors are exploring the land of independence, um, we often are encouraging them, if they do have to have conversations with third parties, to have them discreetly, mm -hmm. Right. In some circumstances, right. depending upon the circumstance, maybe even use an alias, right? So that there's no mm -hmm. information possible of being leaked, um, only to let in the tent those that they know will be coming with them, right? As they start discussing this internally, if they are, right? To only right. let those in the tent to, to, to be, become aware of what the plans are, because the more people that are letting the, let into the tent, inherently, the, the greater the risk is if there are some employment issues. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I'll say, you know, a transition is a process, right? It's a project and that should be professionally managed. So whether it be ensuring yeah. that, you know, those advisors are not signing any type of contract while they're still at the firm, they're planning on departing, right? Or forming any type of entity um, that's in their name, which can be picked up by their firm, uh, because every broker dealer and wirehouse has internet scraping technology that is outwardly looking for activity that their advisors are engaged in that has not yet been permissed. Yeah. Right. So, um, I feel like know, we're talking about like the FBI. 
Well, you know, it, 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 <laughs> it's are like we it, got the eyes it, on you. It, it, it's interesting. You know, f- the, those organizations, right, wirehouses and broker dealers, including some RIAs as well, are are really out there to protect their own interests. Yeah. Right. Sure. And there are overseeing regulatory bodies, right, whether that be FINRA or SEC that identify what the rules of engagement are. Yeah. And really, those rules of engagement from a regulatory perspective are more there to protect the client's interests, right? Like privacy rules mm-hmm. and, and who owns the data of those clients, wow. right? But the employment aspect of things, right? What the advisors can do in advance, can't do in advance. Are they going to be leveraging the benefit of the protocol for broker recruiting, yeah. right? What can they say? What can't they say? What information they can prep with? What the in- information they might need to leave behind? This is all, these are all things that advisors really need to consider and talk with a professional to ensure that they're able to get from where they are to where they're looking to go without taking on any unnecessary risk, but at the same time, not leaving any unnecessary chips on the table. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that's, those are some things that I didn't, wasn't aware of before. Like I know that these firms need to keep the eyes on, but I, I didn't know about that screen scraping technology. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, any type of entity formation is within the public domain. So you can right. yourself Google yeah. or go to the Secretary of State and identify uh, any type of entity. Almost like, you know, if you were to create a, a, a new uh, website, right, and you go yeah. to whois.com, mm-hmm. uh, more often than not, it will show you who the owner is of yeah. that particular URL. Yep. Um, Advisors that have restrictive covenants and that are that that have strong relationships with their clients, mm-hmm. um, and quite frankly, those that that are looking to seamlessly transition without any potential interruption, need to consider many of these things in order to create the safe passage. Mm. They don't know what they don't know, and they often should. They more more often than not, they should be speaking with professionals that can answer questions that they haven't even thought of. Yeah. So I know you, you're also someone who has some good insights into the state of M&A, mm-hmm. some mergers and acquisitions. I want to I ask you some things. I'm going to read you a stat first, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. So <clears throat> I found this to be really interesting. M&A transactions increased by 400% from 2016 to 2022. And in 2022, over 60% of those transactions were completed by private capital-backed acquirers. And so that's just indi- indicative? indicative, there we go. Indicative. Yeah, indicative. Of- yeah. <laughs> it's the end of the day, man. <laughs> indicative of, you know, how we see right. private equity and VC has been going into fintech for a while now, and it's also coming over into the RAA side, helping to grow some of these, these larger firms. You know, both on the breakaway side as well as on the more established RAA side, uh, what do those advisors need to think about? What do they need to know before they would consider taking outside funding? And what misconceptions about, you know, VC and P money is there out there with advisors? Yeah, that's look, that's a great question. There's no doubt that uh, M&A has been on the, the forefront of of all the industry uh, magazines and, and trade publications because it's been ex- extremely busy. We've seen an incredible, and as you suggested, the data shows an incredible amount of uh, influx of capital from both VC and, and private equity. Uh, I think one of the, the first things that advisors should consider if they're uh, 
uh, discussing uh, taking some chips off of the table and and allowing uh, some type of capital partner to come in is uh, the most basic advice of all. Know who you're getting into bed with, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you need to date. You need to make sure that uh, that there's alignment between management uh, within the advisory or the wealth management firm, and and what the vision is, uh, and quite frankly, what uh, the uh, in investing firm is is ultimately looking to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, quite frankly, a lot of misconceptions are uh, really what also what you read about in in uh, in the industry, right? Where you see these multiples you know, in the, in the high teens or, or low to mid twenties. Um, what I think advisors don't necessarily realize is that, um, although the basis for that might be that high, um, a lot of these deals are constructed through earnouts, right? Over a period Mm -hmm. of time, Mm -hmm. right? So at the end of the day, uh, you know, a 20 X multiple, um, does not necessarily mean that the actual payout that the advisor receives is going to be anywhere near there because there are so many different things that can affect that multiple mm-hmm. to where, um, you know, the multiple itself is, is becoming, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, this really attractive number. It really means very little in the grand scheme of things. It mm-hmm. works well for press, right. And it certainly Absolutely, has created, yeah. you know, this, uh, uh, a greater interest in in advisors selling. I think the stats are for every for every seller, there's you know fifteen to twenty buyers lined up, wow. right? Um, that of course has been up until the Fed uh, has consistently raised interest mm-hmm. rates, right? I think buyers now are even PE firms are are a lot more selective, right? Yeah. Um, they they they're taking a harder look at at the numbers and ensuring that. You know, no one's playing doctor relative mm-hmm. to how the accounting is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still seeing an incredible amount of volume. I think this past quarter, Hamburger Law Firm was on the buy or sell side of a transaction uh, eight or nine times, right? And we're often giving our clients advice and helping them uh, not only ensure that the deal documents are are drafted correctly, mm-hmm. uh, but they're also optimizing uh, the deal from a tax perspective, because I think you know, advisors see a lot of zeros and they get excited and that's all well and good. Um, but they also need to ensure from a tax perspective and from an, from a uh, perspective of uh, the deal itself that it needs to be optimized and that it's not creating any, any unnecessary tax issues. Yeah. And it's so much to, to consider. It's such a, a massive uh, consideration, especially if you're a breakaway. And that's why like partners like you guys are super important. Because you've you've done it so many times, I can't imagine like going through such a momentous business process, business decision without having somebody with experience to guide you along that yeah. path. Well, here here's what I'll say, and and look, I think our industry is really unique, right? And and although mm-hmm. um, often RIAs uh, look at uh, the firm down the street as a competitor, uh, what I think is really unique to our industry is that you come to a conference like this, or of course. Uh, market councils conference, the market council summit. Um, everyone's willing to have a conversation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think particularly for advisors that are exploring independence. Um, of course, in in a private setting, uh, if you're looking to have conversations, have them, right? You don't necessarily have to disclose any specific detail, uh, but I think on our side, everyone's advocates for the independent landscape. Yeah. And I think they, they'd be willing to uh, give their opinion or identify 
how an advisor can successfully trek from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, whether whether you're looking to transition immediately or within a few years from now, there are really smart people in our industry mm-hmm. that know that this cycle is a long play, right? Mm-hmm. That that sometimes advisors' timelines are two to three years. And a lot of folks like us are willing to put in the time, effort, and energy in helping folks figure out what they want to do, right? Uh, because within this industry, um, there's not just pure independence, right? There's quasi-independence and many different flavors that have oh, yeah. been created. Oh, yeah. um, and those options can be, quite frankly, confusing and overwhelming. So what often advisors do is, you know, they suffer from paralysis analysis. There's so many options here. I really don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to stay put. Well, that's okay too. Uh, but I think you'll find, uh, and those advisors will find that uh, there are many really smart people here that are willing to have private conversations and help uh, those advisors navigate their way to a point where they can at least make an informed decision. And and we are consistently uh, reminded not just by our CEO, but I also remind our staff that um, these advisors, Johnny, are putting everything on the line when they're transitioning. Oh, yeah. This is their livelihood. This is what puts food on their table. This is what's going to fund their retirement. Um, and although we've we've shepherded thousands of transitions mm-hmm. over the last 23 years, this might be the advisor's first, right? And where everything is on the line, yeah. we need to be sensitive to that and be available to them and help them help guide them through that process to ensure that there's no business disruption and they can get from where they are to where they're looking to go seamlessly. Mm. Right. And I think that there are a lot of smart folks in this industry that can help or at least guide and have conversations that will lead the advisor to ultimately pulling the trigger. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that the often the, 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 the most difficult step is the first one. Absolutely. Okay. So last question for you. We're at Wealth Management Edge. So what can advisors do to get an edge in 2023? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that consistently are are overlooked is reinventing the client experience. Hmm. Um, I think advisors, as they launch and throughout the, the life cycle of the business, um, once they have their, their quote-unquote tech stack uh, available, uh, and they're engaged with clients. I often what I what I ultimately think is that you know advisors are not always looking through the lens of the client, and they should continuously try to find efficiencies that create a greater client experience. Right? Mm-hmm. This yeah. industry uh, continues to see, uh, and you know the big uh, the big word that was used a few years ago was price compression, and I think for a short period of time, advisors. Uh, we're looking or are or we're looking to technology to create and enhance the client experience. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that seemed to have stopped. Mm-hmm. I think some of the most successful firms out there are reinventing themselves, reinventing their process, creating better operational efficiency for the firm and for the client so that they can spend more quality time, not just with their colleagues, yeah. but with the clients themselves, right? And allow the client to then have shorter time with the advisor and spend more time with their family. Yeah. So assessing uh, what the experience of being a client is, I think is something where a lot of advisors fall short of. There we go. Okay. We've, we've got the, we've got the directive for how to get better in 2023. 
Ryan, thanks for joining me, man. It's my was pleasure. A, a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, same. And uh, happy birthday, Johnny. Thank you. <laughs> birthday <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> Thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Right.